Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is LPGA legend Jane Blaylock. Let me remind you about Jane's background. She's from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Played her college golf at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando, where she graduated with her degree in history. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1977. She won the New Hampshire Amateur Championship three times from 1965 to 1968. She won the Florida Intercollegiate Championship in 1966 and the New England Amateur Championship in 1968. She turned pro in 69 and was named the LPGA Rookie of the Year. Got her first win on tour here in Atlanta at the 1970 Lady Carling event. She was named the most improved golfer on the LPGA Tour in 1970 and 71. Jane won the inaugural Dinosaur Colgate Winter Circle Tournament, which was the richest prize ever on the LPGA Tour at the time. She would go on to win the Colgate Triple Crown in 1975 and 77. She teamed with Raymond Floyd to win the Mixed Championship in 1978. She holds her professional golf record for consecutive cuts made at 299. In 1983, she became only the seventh player in LPGA Tour history to earn a million dollars in career earnings. She was named the... Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is LPGA legend Jane Blaylock. Let me remind you about Jane's background. She's from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Played her college golf at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando, where she graduated with her degree in history. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1977. She won the New Hampshire Amateur Championship three times from 1965 to 1968. She won the Florida Intercollegiate Championship in 1966 and the New England Amateur Championship in 1968. She turned pro in 69 and was named the LPGA Rookie of the Year. Got her first win on tour here in Atlanta at the 1970 Lady Carling event. She was named the most improved golfer on the LPGA Tour in 1970 and 71. Jane won the inaugural Dinosaur Colgate Winter Circle Tournament, which was the richest prize ever on the LPGA Tour at the time. She would go on to win the Colgate Triple Crown in 1975 and 77. She teamed with Raymond Floyd to win the Mixed Championship in 1978. She holds her professional golf record for consecutive cuts made at 299. In 1983, she became only the seventh player in LPGA Tour history to earn a million dollars in career earnings. She was named the 1985 Comeback Player of the Year, coming back from a herniated disc in her back. In all, Jane won 27 times on the LPGA Tour and four more times on the Japanese Tour. She was inducted into the Legends Hall of Fame back in 2014 and into the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame in 2018. And in my opinion, she should be in the LPGA and the World Golf Hall of Fames. And I am so honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jane, how are you, my friend? I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the McLemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. 
You got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. 1985 Comeback Player of the Year coming back from a hernia and a disc in her back. In all, Jane won 27 times on the LPGA Tour and four more times on the Japanese Tour. She was inducted into the Legends Hall of Fame back in 2014 and into the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame in 2018. And in my opinion, she should be in the LPGA and the World Golf Hall of Fames. And I am so honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jane, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, I'm great. It's always such a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you for having me. So, Jane, it's been an exciting year on the LPGA Tour, and you have an exciting event coming up on the Legends of the LPGA Tour with the Senior U.S. Women's Open next week up in Portland, Oregon at Waverly Country Club. Talk about what we get to look forward to there. Oh, it was, the you know, for the USGA, it was a long time coming. Uh, to finally have a women's senior open, you know, they'd had the men's senior open for years and we lobbied, we tried and we finally pulled it off a few years ago. And now it's a million dollar purse. And, uh, it's, it's really put the, uh, the great LPJ legends on the map. And, you know, Waverly Country Club is a great course and, uh, it's going to be a fantastic field. You know, we've got Annika, uh, not defending. But playing and it's just it's going to be a fabulous field and exciting event and uh, you know we're all looking forward to watching to who comes out on top. You mentioned that you had the lobby for it. Why'd you have the lobby for it? Why wasn't this something that the USGA wasn't all over? Oh, I have no idea. And uh, you know the kind of the disappointing thing is that um, you know they delayed a little too long because I always call it the golden years of the LPGA when you had. You know, Pat Bradley, Amy Elcott, Patty Sheehan, Beth Daniel, uh, you know, Joanne Carner, um, the real Nancy Lopez, you know, the exciting era in women's golf. And when they finally decided to do it, it they were just not a little past the prime, even for the uh, Legends Tour. Even I won't use the word senior, but but, <laughs> or, but mature golfers. And I have no idea why it took so long, but I guess I have to look at the glass top bullet. Finally made it happen. And, uh, at least, at least it's on the map, but, uh, we need to get that purse up. We need to get more comparable, like everything else is and women's golf, uh, you know, closer to the men's purse. Speaking of those lessons that you just mentioned, including yourself. Oh, by the way, are we going to get to see you guys out there playing in the tournament or have we lost that opportunity altogether? 
Well, it's it's kind of it's interesting, you know, when the USGA set their criteria, you know, qualification, they used money list. They didn't use tournament wins. If you start doing the math, you know, I won over certainly over a million dollars, but that's like a that's first place prize money now. <laughs> uh, you know, I wish they had changed the criteria. So I'm actually not on. I would have to go qualify, and it's it's a little um, you know uh, unsettling to me. I wish yeah. they. Had you know, had tweaked it a little bit where they actually looked at tournament wins as opposed to career money. And, you know, unfortunately, when I won the Dinosaur, which has been a major for many years, it wasn't considered a major. So, uh, you know, I kind of lost my opportunity. And um, but I'd love to get my game in shape for it. But to have to qualify and then to go play in it uh, because I have so many other things going on in my life and I really just don't have the time to do both. So what about just having the ladies that built the LPGA Tour? I mean, without you and, and the other players that you mentioned, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, you guys built the LPGA Tour back in the, the late 60s and the 70s and going into the 80s. You guys are the ones that, that I grew up idolizing and watching and that sort of thing. If it wasn't for you, there wouldn't be the LPGA Tour, at least not as far along as the LPGA Tour is today. Why can't the USGA take a look at it and say, hey, look, these are the ladies that built this tour. They have already earned the right to play in this event. Well, I guess we need a super senior division or something like that. <laughs> but if they drag their heels a little bit too long, you know, where the guys who put the PGA tour on the map really had the chance and their, you know, female counterparts did not. But I also think that the LPGA has to step up. You know, there is an LPGA senior but it's it's not quite the the status that it should be. So I think the LPGA needs to step up and and really have a very senior and no serious major championship for the women who put the LPGA on the map. Hundred percent agree. We've got two senior women's majors now. The senior women's LPGA tournament, which you mentioned a moment ago, that was held earlier this year in late June which was won by Angela Stanford. She birdied the last hole to win. It was an incredibly exciting tournament. Do you think there's an opportunity? Could we grow it from here? Could we go from two senior majors to th to three senior majors to four senior majors like we have out on most other tours? Of course, the LPGA has five. But could you see this growing to a third and fourth major for the LPGA Legends Tour? Well, I think we need to up the ante on the two that we have. You know, I mentioned the senior open um is a million dollar purse. The LPGA was 400,000. So come on, LPGA, step up and make it at least equal, if not more, more so than, um, you know, the women's open. Look what's happening on the LPGA now. Um, you know, look at the women's open, what 11 million. The KPMG was at nine or 10 million. The AIG, nine million. And they keep raising, you know, you know, kind of upping the bar. So the LPGA needs to pay attention and do something special for the LPGA legends, certainly in my opinion. And, you know, vested interest because it's uh, it's something that I have, you know, campaigned for for, you know, many, many years. Speaking of something you've campaigned for, and we've talked about this in the past when you've joined the show, but you always campaign for a Masters like tournament on the LPGA Tour. Augusta National has opened their gates to the Augusta National Women's Amateur. It feels like it's time for an LPGA or a better yet, an LPGA Legends event to be held there. Since you ladies were shut out of playing there during your primes, 
you should get first crack at having a senior major there. I think it's an event that would go crazy. Maybe in November it could be held like the Masters was during COVID. Do you think they'd listen and be open to an event like that if a sponsor like a Nabisco, going back to the dinosaur days, might get behind it and we could actually have an LPGA Seniors Masters tournament? We know getting the, uh, even if it's not at at, uh, Augusta Country Club, uh, you know, it could be um, next door. Well, wait a minute. I just said it, Augusta Country Club, not at the Masters, which is a fab. There was an LPGA tournament there years ago you know, even before my time. So to have it in that same area and certainly the power spending of women and the demographic women over 50, uh, we're an important entity in the financial world. So there certainly should be a company that would step up and say, hey, let's make this happen and to be noticed. So uh, I think uh, whatever company decided to do that would, uh, would would be noticed and then some. Speaking of Augusta National, we've seen the LPGA majors visit some of the great iconic courses in our game now. They played at Baltus Row and Pebble Beach this year. How big is that for the growth of the LPGA Tour? Oh, it's just huge, and it trickles down. You know, it just raised the bar, raised the status, and it certainly uh, encourages, you know, young women to play the game. It's like, wow, you know, these women are important. They're getting to play these same courses, and it's sad we're having the discussion because the men have had that opportunity for a hundred years, but hey, at least we're, we're catching up. But I think what uh, the companies are doing now, you know, AIG, Chevron, um, the USGA, um, I, I think it's absolutely fabulous uh, what's happening in, in the women's game. So back in the day when you were on tour, did the LPGA approach courses like that to try to get a major played on one of those places and was told no? Do you know why it it took all the way to this year before those courses opened up to the LPGA tour. Quite honestly, I don't even know if that conversation ever took place um, because it was always we're always fighting, you know, for you know to move ahead to raise the bar a little bit, and uh, perhaps there was no one there to take the risk. I, I think it's, it's someone who has vision, someone that thinks you know really raises that bar and thinks beyond why can't this happen. Um, but it just kind of, it took a movement and it wasn't just a women's golf, it's all sports. So it's kind of a collective, you know, energy, which is moving forward, uh, which is so exciting. And so it's all part of that. And I, I wish I could give credit to one person for it, but, uh, but we can't, but it's, um, it's too bad. It, it took too long, but Hey, we're, we're there. We're finally there. And, uh, you know, you've got you've got all the tennis events with uh, the majors with equal money. Of course, they do play at the same venues, but why not to have equal money uh, in the women's game? Right. As you see this growth and you see the things that they are able to do now and the places that they're able to play, do you stand back and do you, are you prideful about that? Do you say, hey, look, if it wasn't for me and my peers, we could still be years or decades away from this kind of growth and playing at these types of courses, or are you disappointed that it took this long? Oh, no. I mean, I, that's totally, you know, you always have to kind of uh, be thankful for where, you know, your position in time and what you accomplished. And, uh, and yeah, so we, we were the group of women with whom I played. I think we're all responsible for what's happening today and just so grateful that it finally happened. So I take enormous pride and where the women's game is today and 
hopefully I had some small part in it. Uh, of course but you I'm, did. I'm just so grateful for everything that I have in my life today with, uh, you know, what I have worked on with the, you know, Legends Tour, or now, excuse me, Legends of the LPGA, you have to get that straight, and with our PGA Women's Golf Clinics. I mean, that's really has made such a difference across the board. Jane, the last 18 months has been a pretty tumultuous time in professional golf, particularly on the men's side. The LPGA has kind of been on the outside watching what's going on over there, I'm sure. But sooner or later, it feels like the LPGA is going to get sucked into this whole thing. Are you concerned at all that if the merger or the partnership, whatever you want to call it, going on between the PGA Tour and the PIF, that it's just a matter of time before the PIF wants in on the LPGA? I mean, it's uh, who knows? I mean, this whole thing is such a conundrum and it's uh, it's a maze for any of us that are trying to navigate this whole thing. But, uh, you know, the LPGA is, um, you know, is this alliance or actually owns the L.E.T., you know, latest European tour. And their biggest events are sponsored by Aramco. So the LPGA is already, you know, kind of in bed with those folks, so to speak. Um, and I know they try to, you know, deny it is the wrong word, but try to be very diplomatic and how they address that. It's made very interesting because, uh, you know, money talks and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Um, and I understand the, uh, you know, I read every, I don't have any inside info. None of us really do. But reading all the, you know, the articles that uh, the PGA had no choice because they were losing millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, in the lawsuit and, uh, you know, the Saudis are never going to run out of money. So who knows what's going to happen? And uh, I I really don't want to have an opinion one way or another. I just want uh, the women in golf to be able to benefit as much as possible and to play the game of a lifetime. Jane, going back to your playing career, and like we talked about a moment ago, you won the first Colgate Dinosaur Winner's Circle event in 1972 an event that many people say transformed the LPGA Tour and the way women's golf was perceived. Talk about that tournament and the transformation it made come about. Oh, it just totally changed the way women's golf was perceived and went from, uh, you know, kind of the civic organizations around the country where, you know, you had to look it up on the map to find out where you were going to play uh, to, you know, larger cities. And corporate America, you know, taking notice. I mean, Colgate did us just such a great service. And it was David Foster, the CEO at that time, who really put women's golf on the map. I mean, the prize money was huge, but national TV, celebrities involved. And it it was single-handedly changed the direction of women's golf. And, uh, you know, so lucky to be part of it. The energy, I mean, it was just and the size of the galleries was just absolutely phenomenal. It was a amazing experience to be part of that. And I guess I was pretty lucky to have won it. You mentioned celebrities. I know they were a big part of that event. Who are some of the great people that you had an opportunity to now play alongside? Well, people probably never heard of like Frank Sinatra, Bob, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe DiMaggio. Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of my favorites that i you know, played with over the years out there, but it was definitely the A-list. <laughs> um, and Dinah brought brought all of her friends in, and the celebrities wanted to be part of that. And uh, it was just, you know, it was it was just so so exciting. You know, I said the energy was through the roof. 
So the the size of the galleries, I have to imagine, prior to that, maybe smaller, and then you then this sort of event hits, and then the celebrities start to get involved. Was that a a boom for what what it was like than the crowds that you started to play in front of? Oh, it was huge. In fact, I would have to say, um, cause I would attend the uh, you know the dinosaur. Then it it went from gosh Colgate to Nabisco to Craft Nabisco to the Craft and. Uh, the galleries were actually larger um, in the early 70s than they were going into the 80s and even early 90s. Is that it right? Was, no, it was just, yeah, I, I kind of saw the galleries like and they were always large, but never as large as they were when we had, you know, again, you know, the Patty Sheehan and Jill the Inkster early on and, you know, Pat Bradley, Amy Elcott. Um, it was uh, it was just tremendous. So. Uh, which is one of the reasons why we were excited about the uh, the Legends Tour, because these players attracted galleries because they had real personalities. The tournament has now been renamed. It's the it's the Chevron Championship, and it's an LPGA major. Oh, by the way, now it became one in 1983. I think the LPGA has done a disservice to you guys by not going back and making it a major and awarding those of you that won it prior to 83. Have you guys ever talked about that? Like why, why it's a major now. Why don't we get credit for the major that it was back in the seventies and the early part of the eighties? Well, of course we wish that was the case. Uh, and now, you know, we had two majors then now they have five. So um, it's, it is a disservice to us and I wish they would consider something like that, but I doubt it will happen because it's hard to go back and, and, and change things like that with the tradition of the game. But uh, now to have, um, you know, five majors, it seems it's a little bit easier to win majors. And for, you know, most of certainly my career and those of many of my peers, we had two. So you could do the math. Um, you win the U.S. Open or the LPGA or, or go home. And, um, you know, the Dinah, then it was a Demarier, and, uh, which was the Canadian Open. And then it was um, now the Evian. Uh, now it's a British. So um, it's just uh, no 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 sour grapes here, but when you kind of compare generations and uh, those eligible, as you mentioned earlier on for the Hall of Fame, it's a bit skewed. You mentioned there was no Open Championship back in the day. Did you get an opportunity to go over there and play those great courses anyway? Oh, we did. It was wonderful. Yeah, I got, we had Colgate sponsored the. It was the Colgate European which was always at Sunningdale, such a great venue. And it was a fabulous tournament. And uh, we played in, uh, we played in Ireland and we played in Scotland, but you know, there were never a so-called official tournaments, um, which was, uh, you know, w- which would have been great, but uh, you know, kudos to AIG for what they've done with the women's. And I like it now. It's not the British, it's the AIG women's open, which is the same way they, uh, you know, they, uh, talk about the men so it's not the british open it's the championship so i I like the way they position that and um you know aig is also um you know they've been fabulous they're our presenting sponsor of our pga women's clinics and so they you know totally support women's golf on all levels jane with respect to equipment it seems readily available to the guys out on the pga tour especially nowadays i'm sure it's way different now than it was back in the 70s and 80s but 
Was it readily available for you guys to get your equipment, get it adjusted and that sort of thing? Or did you have to struggle to get that too? Oh, good Lord. No. <laughs> yes. We had to really fight for everything. Uh, I saved a lot of my old clubs. I looked at the steel shaft and those leather grips. And when it was cold, I recall how my hands would shiver and, you know, it would send chills up your body <laughs> when you would hit a thin shot. Um, but it's, um, you know, we're all using the same clubs, so everyone was in the same situation. So you really can't compare. But I always I tell my friends, thank goodness we didn't have hybrids because I was a really good long iron player. I could hit two and three irons and I carried both in my bag and had hybrids been around, it would equalize. So I wouldn't have won nearly as many tournaments. <laughs> it would have brought many other of my competitors into the game. Because uh, I grew up on a windy course and was a low ball striker. So, uh, you know, it's the equipment has it's just it's dramatically changed and and uh, what's available to the players now. And it, it's fabulous and that the, the women have as many opportunities now as the men and the golf ball and, um, you know, the size of the driver. The, the equipment has just gone through the roof. And, you know, it's um, in some ways it's sad because many golf courses that where championship courses are, are no longer because they're too short because the, uh, you know, the guys hit the ball so long and now women are hitting it two seventy. So some of the courses are obsolete for the top women players as well. And Jane, I used to love watching the fall events when the LPGA players would team with the PGA tour players and team events. You, we used to have the, the JC Penny event. There was the Wendy's three tour challenge which would include the Champions Tour players. Again, we're we're going to get a little bit of that back this fall with a Grant Thornton Invitational, but I think it would be loads of fun to get the LPGA legends to team back up with the Champions Tour players, the, the guys that you used to play with back in the day and see you guys in a team event. Do you think there's any opportunity that we may get something like that? Oh, I wish we could. I mean, we've had so many conversations over the years. Jim Colbert and I were friends for years, and. uh you know, it's probably a little past the, the, our prime now, but uh, we've talked about it. But it's all about money and getting sponsors. I know the Champions Tour would love to do it, but we have to find, you know, the right sponsor. But good goodness gracious, what sponsor wouldn't want to have men and women over 50 competing together? Again, give, giving the, the, the financial, you know, you know, demographics of our population, it would be a home run. So hopefully... We can make that happen. But, um, Chris, I do have a table. When, uh, Legends Tour, we just, um, this is not even, hasn't even been announced, but we're excited. We're going to uh, have a new event in Lexington, outside of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, the Woodford Golf Club. We're going to have a Legends event down there, it's kind of a preview event in the fall this year and a big event next June. So that's going to be uh, a team event. Very, very exciting. No kidding. What kind of team event is it? Is it a, is it a mixed event or is it no, uh, no. going to be no. just a women's, you know, LPJ legends event. So it could be uh, Annika and Drew Linkster playing together. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but uh, it's really exciting. So the folks at the Woodford club uh, have really stepped up and uh, you know, we have our BJ's event, which is coming up in a month from now. Uh at the Ridge Club on Cape Cod, and that's just a fabulous team event. And Julie is playing, and um, you know, just we'll have Nancy Lopez. We'll have all these great players. So uh, 
team events are really fun for us. Pat Bradley's defending champion. Jane, just a couple more before I let you go. And you do a wonderful letter on Fridays, four Fridays. And I, I get to read that out on LinkedIn. But talk about the things that you write about. Oh, it's, it's part of our PGA Women's Golf Clinics. And just go to our website and, to, you know, subscribe to the four Fridays because uh, our team does a fabulous job with golf tips and with going on in the women's game and the men's game as well. But it's just uh, it's so newsworthy and it's just it's such great information. So, Jane, what's on your schedule for the rest of the year? Well, I'm stressing now I play in our BJ's event. My partner is Patricia Manula Book, and she's a very strong player. She won the Dinosaur one year. She beat Annika by one. And uh, she's a strong player, but I want to be a worthy partner to her. So I'm stressing over my game. (laughs) That's great. So, Jane, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things going on with the Legends of the LPGA Tour and you, whether it's on your website or it's on uh, social media? Well, I mean, first I would go to our PGA Women's Golf Clinic. That has everything there. And then it's, uh, you know, Legends of the LPGA, kind of with our our events and the BJ's event coming up and uh, hasn't even been announced. I kind of blew the whistle and I'll probably get uh, reprimanded. But- <laughs> And, but it's pretty exciting that we have this new event. Yeah, it is. I can't wait to hear more about it. But I can't thank you enough, Jane, for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. I always get excited when I know you're going to be joining me. You're one of the great people that you get to meet in this game. And um, I can't thank you enough for all your time and the great things you're doing. And I hope hope more and more things happen on a positive note for the Legends Tour. You guys deserve a lot. Again, the LPGA Tour wouldn't be nearly as as advanced as it is if it wasn't for you and your peers back in the glory days back in the 70s and 80s i can't thank you enough well thanks chris thanks for all your support and having me jane take care all the best to you and your family we'll catch up again soon okay see you jane that is the great jane blaylock folks and it just doesn't get any better than that uh always a huge thrill when jane is a part of the show the legends of the lpga is a wonderful wonderful tour uh, we've talked about this many times in the past when she's been a part of the show. The unprecedented access you get to those legends, you're not going to get on any tour anywhere. I mean, a lot of the events, you get to walk right inside the ropes, right alongside the players. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen at the Women's Senior U.S. Open, but a lot of their other legends events, you get to walk side by side with the great ladies that built this game. And you're not going to get that anywhere else. And they're so personable. And they'll sign autographs and they'll talk with you and they'll spend time with you. They are just, it's just a wonderful tour. It's just the best one out there. I can't say enough great things about it. Jane is certainly a part of why that tour has gotten off the ground and doing the great things it is. And again, I think she and her peers long overdue some of the access and some of the accolades that they deserve. And I certainly hope at some point the LPGA goes back and awards the ladies that won the dinosaur. Uh, which is now the Chevron uh, major status. Again, it became a major in 83. She won it in 72. She deserves to have major champion along with the many other great things as you can title her with. But she is deserving of that honor, and I hope she gets it very soon. Okay, joining me next is going to be one of the great people you get to meet in this game, and that is Rich Katz. Before I get to Rich, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, 
at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year, and I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full-face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arco's and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T.com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Okay, now next on the tee with me, like I mentioned a moment ago, is one of the great people you get to meet in our game, and that is Rich Katz. Rich has been a wonderful supporter of the show and great counsel to me over the last several years. Let me give you some background on Rich. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism and Marketing from George Washington University. Going back to the late 80s, Rich was the Vice President of Marketing for Corporate Sports Battle and ESPN. He then spent over 28 years as the Senior Vice President of Pinnacle Enterprises managing and representing PGA Tour players. In 2001, he founded the Buffalo Agency, a division of Billy Casper Golf. He's now leading his own strategy and consulting organization, Catch Strategy, helping organizations with marketing, public relations, and content strategy. And like I say, just one of the kindest and most generous individuals you'll ever meet. And I'm grateful to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank, thanks for the great introduction. Um... I was listening to Jane Blaylock, and I was six years old when she won the Dinosaur. And I just don't remember if she cannonballed it in the lake, <laughs> swan dive. <laughs> but she was she was one of the greatest, and and I, I had a secret crush on Dinosaur at the age of six. Didn't so, we all? Oh man, I used to watch that show. Right, I think it was same. Right Merv Griffin, right? We're showing our age. I know we really are. Rich, I, I want to start by going back to the early part of your career, because I'm fascinated to learn, how did you go from being a young guy graduating from George Washington University to growing your career to becoming a VP of marketing at Corporate Sports Battle and ESPN? Yeah, so I was um, I was headed for a career in, in sports writing, uh, Washington Post, uh, New York Times, what have you. And I realized I didn't want to work the midnight shift on the on the news desk and i wanted to get into the business of sports so i 
was plunked out of college by a group affiliated with ESPN that ran a 25-city tour of corporate Olympics. So do you remember the Battle of the Network Stars? For sure. Oh, I love that. Well, this was Battle of the Corporate Stars. So you had employees from CEOs all the way down to mailroom clerks uh, competing in Olympic-style events. AT&T would go against Booz Allen, which would go against IBM, Xerox, what have you. The finals were on ESPN. And I I thought I had talent as an ESPN sideline reporter. I did it until they called me in and said, hey, Rich, guess what? The camera puts 15 pounds on you. Can't afford that. Your five o'clock shadow looks like a 10 o'clock shadow. Can't afford that. And every once in a while, your your voice in the mic, um, it seems like you're going through puberty all over again. <laughs> so wow. they said, I think you're pretty smart. <laughs> So they moved me inside, and I went into the sales track uh, and the marketing track. And I was able to um, secure the largest, one of the largest sponsorships in the history of, of corporate sports battle with Toshiba and Computerland. Computerland is, uh, or was, one of the, um, it was kind of like the Starbucks of computers and word processors back in the day. And then I decided, um, got married at the age of 24. Um, didn't want to travel as much. I was traveling every week. So um, so I met this gentleman by the name of Bob Morris, who started me in golf. He was the former agent for Payne Stewart, uh, Scott Hoke. Remember that? Scott Verplank and you know, a lot of the guys who really brought the senior um, tour, now the Champions Tour, to life. Um, one of his clients was Billy Casper. And through tutelage, um, you know, uh, through Bob, I was given the responsibility of managing Billy Casper's business affairs. Wow. And that lasted about 28 years until Billy's passing uh, several years ago. Um, but Billy became my second dad. And um, he showed me the wisdom um, and always doing the right thing that's needed in both life and business. And it was a very, very close relationship. I also represented a lot of a lot of the champion store players who've been on your show did all the contracts for Bruce Devlin when he was on ESPN and NBC and I think ABC as well. Uh, did work for Bruce Crampton. He may have been on your show. And then um, one of my favorites was Butch Baird. Um, so I, I grew up, much like Jane Blaylock, I grew up, grew up as a young guy uh, evolving in the golf business with many of the legends of the game. I remember going to Jack Nicholas's house. I remember Arnold Palmer. Meeting all of them was a thrill, but I did business with them and their agents as well. And that's really how I cut my teeth in golf, and I never look back. Um, if, if you move on to, to the next stage of my career, um, we started a company called uh, Billy Casper Golf. And we named it Billy Casper Golf. It's more famous, Chris, than naming it Chris Mascaro or Rich Cats Golf. <laughs> and it was a, a it was a company um, that owned and operated golf courses, country clubs, and resorts, much like Troon today. And we knew that the industry uh, back in the early '90s was going to grow. Tiger Woods was on the scene uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, they were building one golf course a day. It seems like. Uh, golf was hot, red hot. 
And we knew that golf courses needed to be operated like the businesses they are, not out of a cigar box, not out of a shoe box. The golf pro owned the carts, owned the driving range, and owned the pro shop sales. It was making more money than the owner. So somewhat apologetically, we busted that union. And we ran golf courses like the businesses they are. Over 30 years, we grew it to 7,100 employees in season, 168 golf courses that we either owned, third-party managed, or leased, and grew a really solid business until we sold that uh, December 2020 uh, to Troon, which is currently the world's largest uh, golf course, country club, and resort operator. But I learned a lot about golf business. I learned a lot about people. And I learned that the golf industry revolves and evolves where the rubber meets the road. And that's the grassroots. That's, those are the everyday players, just like you and I, who really make this tip. Because remember, without people playing golf or with shortfalls in playing golf, it adversely impacts the rest of the industry. It impacts food and beverage. It impacts travel. It impacts uh, merchandise sales. You know, Callaway wouldn't be where Callaway is if there wasn't that boom during the early Cal Callaway days, you know, back when Tiger Woods started getting really hot. So um, that's my uh, facet for, you know, owning and operating golf courses. But I also, about 20 years ago, saw a void in the marketplace. Um, there weren't many professional um, PR firms or agencies or professional PR and marketing firms and agencies servicing the golf business, golf-centric. So I started a company called Buffalo Communications. It morphed into Buffalo Agency and now Buffalo Group. And what we did is we um, serviced the whole spectrum of marketing for some of the emerging and established brands that you either know or have come to know in golf. So we would expose them to, um, to golfers that fit their profiles. And we grew that business. It wasn't all me. I just founded it. We grew that business to about 100 people and about 65 clients over a 20-year span. Um, I departed that business when we sold our sister company, Billy Casper Golf, to Troon. Um, uh, kind of, uh, my wife fell ill. Uh, I got bored with quasi retirement and started my own one person golf business and golf marketing advisory shop, uh, called Cat Strategy. Eight clients love every minute of it. Advisor to the CEO, marketing advisor. It's truly rewarding to help others grow their businesses and avert missteps. Rich, I want to go back to some of the things you mentioned in there because you've had such a fascinating career and you've gotten to spend time with so many of the legends of our game. And you mentioned Billy Casper, and I'll tell you what, Mr. Casper is just one of the nicest people that I've been privileged to meet. I had him on the show a couple of times back in 2013, a couple of years before we lost him. Um, he made immediately made an impression on me. Talk about Billy Casper and who he was, because I think 
as a player and as somebody that was such a legend in this game, I often felt like Billy got overlooked for how great he was. I mean, it was just like the title of his book says, The Big Three and Me. He was as dominant a player from the mid-50s to the mid-70s as there was. But I don't think enough people give him the credit for not only the player that he was, but the man that he was. They don't know enough about the man that he was. Talk about Billy Casper. Yeah, Billy Billy suffered from um, allergies, uh, so he told me. And that may have taken a little um, off his, what I found, on a, on a, at least on a one-on-one basis, consistently a very colorful personality. Um, as great of a champion as Billy was on the golf course, he's so kind to his fellow man. And that was the mission that, you know, he says put him on earth. And his sense of humor was unparalleled. Um, we would fly together. We get off the airplane. I'd run to the restroom. He'd say, I'll wait for the luggage. And I couldn't find him because he was hiding behind a pole. I mean, it was just such a fun guy. Um, he would make friends with anyone, anytime, anywhere. There was zero ego. Um, he's just as happy grabbing a hot dog or a steak and cheese as he is going to Morton's. And every time he spoke with people, he, that person was the only focus of that moment. There was no uh, no eyes wandering. It was complete one-on-one. When he would sign autographs, he would sign them and he'd say, Sammy Sausage, and he'd write Billy Casper. Vienna Sausage. Sausage Link. And people would just think he's nuts. <laughs> but he, he had such a keen um sense of humor he would call me and he would say i'm looking for domino's pizza please <laughs> and this would be an important business uh business affair that we would be talking about he was just a delight in any room He was very respectful and he'd be the first guy to give his right arm and his left arm to help others um, there was a time, and I, I think I'm remembering this story correctly, uh, there was one of the attendants at Augusta National uh, every year at the Masters at the locker room. And that attendant um, did not, um, hadn't seen his kids in a long time, couldn't afford to travel. One of his kids was in Hawaii, and guess what? Billy Casper gave him frequent flyer miles and hotel points for this gentleman to go see his daughter in Hawaii. Wow. And I remember, Chris, do you know a gentleman by the name of Tom Marzoff? I don't. Um, he's Tom Fazio's number one uh, designer. Uh, nice guy. And he got his start in golf at an early age, caddying at the old Doral Open. Uh, Billy won. and he picked up Billy Casper's bag. So they do the round. Billy doesn't have the greatest of days. But at the end, Billy gave Tom Marzoff a roll of nickels. Tom will never forget that day and that generosity because all the other greats would give their caddies a roll of pennies. That's how thoughtful Billy Casper was. Wow. You mentioned 
going over to Jack Nicholas's house, and Jack has been my idol since I knew what golf was. I can only imagine what it's like to get to spend time with Jack one-on-one going over to his house. Tell me about Jack Nicholas. Uh, he was he was super kind. Um, is super kind. I did work for the Nicholas companies uh, as an advisor uh, on their ball brand uh, years ago. You walk into Jack's office, and we don't know each other very well. You walk into Jack's office, there's not one picture of him playing golf. It's all about family, a little bit of hunting, but all about family. Um, just a real generous, uh, generous man, uh, kind, respectful. Um, and, you know, that seemed to be the tenor of the day. I remember hearing stories about how all these Champions Tour players, or when they were on the regular tour, um, would go in a caravan from tour event to tour event in Winnebago's. And they'd all park them at the same camping ground. They didn't have net jets back, back then. <laughs> <laughs> there was no fractional ownership of, of uh, flying hours. It was really humbled. Um, and a lot of the guys, you know, Billy Casper, you know, would always say to me, I'm just grateful to do what I love. The fact that, you know, he didn't make like they do on the on the live tour event. Uh, the fact that they didn't make, um, you know, 100 and you know, six figures for finishing in last place never really bothered him. He was always Billy. I'm, I'm talking about was always pleased to be, you know, kind of a forefather for the game of golf because it brought so much enjoyment to him, so much enjoyment to his family and so much enjoyment to others. It was almost therapeutic to a lot of people. You know, they're, they're one with nature. Um, you know, kind of, they, they lose their minds from their hurried up hustle bustle lives. And, you know, Billy would just always say, just give it a try. And he'd say, just like, remember, Chris, remember the old um, life cereal commercial, Mikey tried it, Mikey liked it. Yes. Yeah, Billy would say that to people. Mikey tried it. Mikey liked it. Get out there. <laughs> so my memories of Billy are, are greater than, you know, most uh, champion store players. Um, you know, my, my other two uh, great relationships were, was with the devil, Bruce Devlin and, and, and Butch Bear. Those are the two that I remember the most uh, because they were so pleasant. Um, there was always please and thank you. There weren't many uh, things that went wrong. It was very respectful, very classy. And when that happens, it's a two-way street to do great business together and also have lifelong friendships. Yeah, you mentioned Bruce Devlin, and uh, I've gotten to know Bruce over the last couple of years, been on the show several times over that time period. And the word you, you used a moment ago, classy. That's That's what I think about every time I hear Bruce Devlin's voice, whether it was when he was commentating on TV, playing out on the regular tour, playing out on the, at that time was the senior tour. Bruce always came across to me as a classy individual. And every time I've had him on the show, that's a word that I would certainly describe him as. Talk about how you got to meet Bruce. I don't remember. Um, I believe it was a referral um, from another player. Um, but we hit it off instantly. We did great business together. He has a wonderful family. Um, I'm still beside myself uh, about Gloria's passing last year. Um, his son, Kel, is is delightful, owns a wonderful golf course outside of Fort Worth. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree there. Um, 
just a beautiful family, uh, great player, um, but that pales in comparison to the human being he is. Rich, as you got to get involved with, whether it was Billy or Bruce or Butch Baird or any of those guys that um, you started to manage their careers, I have to imagine there's a lot of challenge to somebody that, as you mentioned, whether it was in a, in a Winnebago caravan or now on NetJets, but getting them to where they need to be, demands on their time, business opportunities, it's got to be pretty challenging trying to handle their affairs. How did you go about doing it? Personal lives come first. Uh, family comes first. So if there are no family obligations and it wasn't taxing um, on what's really important, um, then I would present them with the opportunities, go over the pros and cons, um, and just, you know, tee it high and let it fly. Um, there were some fun relationships we had, too. Um, I remember Butch Baird, for example, uh, one of his sponsors was Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. Who would have thought, right? Right. He was known for Jelly Belly Jelly Beans. He used to carry them around, give them to players, you know, give them to fans. And next thing you know, you know, a ball would land uh, out of bounds on, on a jelly bean. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. And, you know, the, the difference between then and now um I think it's just expectations. Um, they they were happy with almost anything um, back then, but as 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 times evolved and, and 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 life gets a little more complex and things get more expensive and you know people eat out more and, and want luxury uh, consumables. Um, a lot of today's tour players just completely have a different attitude. Um, you know, someone told me, and I, I don't know if I really agree with this. Someone told me that today's tour pros are are uh, arrogant and entitled. Um, you know, they don't get out of bed for less than five million, and that's their prerogative. You know, good for them if they can get it. Um, I remember one instance, um, and there there are very, many more positives than negatives, uh, but I remember one instance where you know having dinner with a tour player. And uh, the spouse says to me, hey, Rich, I think my husband deserves $7 million a year from this major club manufacturer. And I said, yeah, that, that's great. Um, but there, there are two things that may weigh um, in his disadvantage. Number one, he has never won, and he's not Sergio Garcia or Ernie Els. Um, and number two, in order for this club manufacturer to pay him $7 million, he has to sell $70 million worth of clubs directly measurable to his personage and his promotion. That's a really hard proposition. I said, how do you come up with that number? She looks at me and she says, I have a four car garage, but we have five cars. I need to build another garage. <laughs> Uh, and that that's that's what I knew it was time to hang up my spikes <laughs> to come to being a player manager and get into the, the lucrative uh you know golf course uh owner operator business and, and you know marketing and, and professional services line of of work in golf. <laughs> a seven million dollar garage, man. 
must have been a heck of a garage they were going to build. It could have been one of those 10-story garages like you see in New York City. Yes, it could. Rich, just a couple more before I let you go. But as a guy who has spent so much of his career in marketing, I imagine you've seen so many products come and go, especially in golf retail. Did you ever see something that you thought was brilliant, but it just never took off? All the time. Um what bothers me is there are great products that are marketed poorly and there are poor products that are marketed brilliantly. You can walk up and down the PGA show in Orlando every year and point to booths and say, this guy won't be here next year. This guy won't be here next year. There, the t- teaching and training aids um, is probably 80% um, not so noteworthy. Um, those that incorporate um, technology yet have practical simplicity, those are noteworthy. Um, what I'm really looking forward to is, you know, there's a company called Encore Golf that makes golf balls, super golf balls, um, that's coming out with a genius ball. It's kind of a ball with the brain. So it's going to be able to, it's kind of like a launch monitor in a ball. And I think that could very well revolutionize uh, golf business in a short period of time. Um, there are a lot of Me Too products out there. If they could do it, I could do it. I can get a slice of the slice of the market. Um, but, you know, you look at Arcos that, you know, cut a deal with the PGA Tour and a bunch of club manufacturers just this week. Uh, it's It's brilliant. Um, it's kind of like a Bluetooth monitor, you know, in the grips of your club and it's able to capture and, and calculate all the data you could ever want. So you can go back and see what you're doing right or wrong and, and improve your golf game. And we all know the more that you improve your golf game, the more you're going to play, the better it's going to be for the industry because, you know, golfers aren't going to go on hiatus as long or as often, uh, as they may otherwise. Rich, you're now working with uh, Nick Buzzle, who's been on this show, and Susie Whaley, who's been on several times, two of my favorites. And you're working with them on the new Golf Nation platform. For those who don't know, talk about what Golf Nation is. Golf Nation fills a void um, in, in, the, in the video entertainment space. Um, do you remember, Chris, when Golf Channel used to have travel features um, and really used to have fun segments? Uh, it wasn't, you know, predominantly focused on, you know, kind of live tour events, you know, um, taped tour events, uh, interviews and highlights. Um, it had some really great, um, great uh, feature stories um, that are on the fringe or outside of, you know, how you play the game at an elite level. So Golf Nation is a golf entertainment network. It's new. and it's, um is really unique so each it's it, think of it as like netflix meets home shopping network and think of it like the food channel and hgtv for golf hmm. when i say netflix meets home shopping network it's really cool so while you're watching these five to 30 minute episodes and they're a ton of fun um a buy bar pops up. That buy bar pops up and you could purchase products right then and there on screen. You can purchase those products you see during the show. So Golf Nation 
uh, has Gulf Na- as NBTV Studios, which is part of Golf Nation that produces the shows. And then watchers can buy it. Think of brands and how brands are have always wanted that. You can go online, you can read a digital article, and you know, there's a buy now button. And guess what? You can buy it. But it's never been done before on video. So what's really cool is some of the fun shows that Golf Nation has produced, and there are 30 others on the uh, on the drawing board, but Ambush with David Ferrity. It's kind of like hidden camera for golf. And Susie Whaley, as you mentioned, she hosts a show called Don't I Know You, which is like golf's version of Newlywed Game. The first episode is with Zach and Kim Johnson. Do they really know each other that well? And then there are others like Golf Unseen, where, you know, you go on adventures to, to South Africa or Asia, all these exotic golf courses with cultural experiences. You have three courses where two golf influencers, uh, Gabby Powell and Hannah Liner, who are going to be on your show in a couple of weeks, right. play, eat and drink with golf, you know, uh, you know, at Phoenix in Atlanta and all these locations around the country and soon to be around the world. There's there's actually my favorite is a show called Tee Shots, where you get this famous mixologist, Bill Bender. Some say it looks like he came out of deliverance, but he's famous. <laughs> and uh, he drinks and he chats and he swings. And guess what? He rinses and repeats. And it's really cool watching him swing, swig bourbon and um, uh, and then hit a shot. Those shots pretty close to the hole after the bourbon incident. <laughs> but it, it's 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 fascinating um, what has um, transpired and what will transpire with Golf Nation. And, and you know, talk about a who's who. Um, I'm I'm kind of the young kid on the advisory board, but you know, you have you have people like Mark Bezos uh, who invested in in Golf Nation and, and, and the parent company NBTV. Uh, that's Jeff's younger brother. You have David Nichols, who was the former president of K-Swiss, the sneaker company. You have the former chairman of, you know, Bacardi North America, Mindy Grossman, who was the CEO of Weight Watchers with Oprah and CEO of, of, of Home Shopping Network. Um, it's it's a star-studded group, and I'm honored to be part of it. So, Rich, for our listeners that want to stay up to date with all the great things that you are a part of, how can they do it? How can they follow you, whether it's online on social media, or on Golf Nation? I'm one of these one-on-one guys. So if you don't mind a a shameless uh, share of an email address, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Please. rcats, K-A-T-Z, rcats at catstrategy.com. Rich, and I mean this sincerely, you are one of the great people that we get to meet in this life. I can't thank you enough for all of your wonderful support and counsel that you've given to me. Uh, it's meant the world to me. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show this week. I certainly hope I get the privilege of having you back on again sometime soon. The pleasure's all mine. Thanks, Chris. Have a nice evening. You do the same. Take care, Rich. All the best to you and your family. Right back at you. Bye-bye. That is the great Rich Katz, folks. And again, that email address, R-K-A-T-Z. So rcats at catstrategy.com is the way to reach him. And as I've said throughout this conversation, 
just one of the most wonderful people you'll meet in this life. He has been a wonderful support to me. And he talked about how great Billy Casper was. And Billy, again, was a guest on this show very early on in season number one. Got to have him twice. But uh, Rich talked about how great Billy was. Well, a lot of the things that Rich talked about, the characteristics that uh, he mentioned about Billy Casper, are the same things you'll get to meet in Rich Cat. Just kind, as good a person as you'll ever want to meet. So those two are very similar. I can see why they work together for so many years. And very grateful for Rich. Like he said uh, during the course of the conversation, the show Three Courses on Golf Nation with Hannah Lerner and Gabby Powell. Well, those ladies will be joining me on the show over the next several weeks. So looking forward to having them as part of the show and certainly looking forward to having Rich back on the show and to hear more of his stories and just get to spend some more time with him. Again, a wonderful guy. We'll catch up with him again soon. Coming up next is going to be one of the top instructors in our game and a guy that joined me just a few weeks ago, and we talked about adaptive golf then. Tonight we're going to spend most of our time talking about his relationship with Earl and Tiger Woods, but that's Joe Groman. Before I get to Joe, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R.com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit Sconey.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's Sconey.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors in our game and a guy who's done a phenomenal job helping our wounded veterans get back involved in the game through his adaptive golf program, and that is Joe Groman. Let me remind you about his background. He played college golf at Cypress College, where he was the team MVP. He transferred to Cal State Fullerton and played there briefly before turning pro. He's been the head golf pro at great golf courses around the country, like Whittier Narrows, Chester, Washington, the Navy course at Seal Beach, where he met Earl and a 13-year-old named Tiger Woods. He also was at El Dorado Park Golf Course in Long Beach, California, now an instructor at the first tee. He was named the 2013 Southern California PGA Professional of the Year. In 2016, he was inducted into the Long Beach Hall of Fame. He is an eight-time recipient of the PGA of America's Patriot Award, and it's great having him back with me again tonight. Hey, Joe, how are you, my friend? Good, Chris. How you doing? Congratulations on getting into Pittsburgh. 
<laughs> I appreciate you, my friend. That's a huge thrill. Yeah, so thank you very much. Oh, man, it is. Yeah, that's great news, man. Shout out to Pittsburgh. Hopefully Joe, I'll team this year. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm very excited about the Steelers. Don't don't sleep on them. I think this team is going to be much improved over last year. I think the defense is going to be elite, and I'm very excited about Kenny Pickett. So I think my Steelers are going to be. Yeah, I think they're going to be very good this year. You watch. <laughs> good, good, yeah, and also uh, number one, man. Congratulations on that too. Really Thank proud you, to, that you pulled that off. That's phenomenal. Thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to get you back on the show so quickly. You and I had been had been talking off air a little bit, but really wanted to get into this time, your your relationship with Earl and Tiger Woods. And you met them when you were working out at the, the Navy golf course there in Cypress, California. Remind everyone how you got to first uh, get to be around Earl and Tiger. All right. Yeah, we'll go back to 1989. And uh, I turned pro, like you said, just a minute ago, and that did work out too good so i was looking for work ended up at the navy golf course and you know when i was growing up on a military uh, golf course the manager there took me under his wing and uh, really had a huge impact in my life but right before i moved to california when i was 17 he told me hey i didn't do this for nothing when you get a chance you got to pay all this forward so i was kind of burning a a hole in my side because i hadn't had an opportunity i get this job at a military golf course, I was born and raised on military bases, and uh, I'm telling the pro about it, about what I just told you, and he said, you know, we're 26 miles from Long Beach Naval Station, which, you know, is in L.A. traffic forever, and he said, you know, other than a one-week program during the summer, we don't have any kids here, because obviously no active duty is going to drive their kids 26 miles through LA traffic to bring him to the course. So <clears throat> he must have saw the disappointment in my face. And he said, Well, we got one kid. I'm like, I told him, Well, one's better than none. Turns out my one kid is Tiger Woods. So I meet them really early on. Earl was the first, you know, I'm the new guy in the shop. Earl was the first guy to stick his hand out and welcome me. Uh, to the golf course and this is like two weeks in i was getting a complex about it you know the the, the it was all better it was, it was military only active duty retired no civilians no public no reservists no veterans and uh so you know by 10 o'clock in the morning the first season empty by two o'clock in the afternoon the golf course is empty so earl and tiger were out there all the time so we hit it off fast and furious and i remember you know, when I first started there, you know, Earl would come in after we met. We hit it off famously. You know, he'd come in. You could smoke in the shop. We had chairs. We'd chat. No one's there. Many times, you know, me and Earl would talk for four hours straight in the shop, and no one would even come in. Wow. So I was complaining. Uh, yeah, I was complaining to him, you know, about how I was. they put me on the lesson team. Well, one thing I didn't explain is all the way through college golf, I had never had a lesson. I was one of those guys thought I knew everything. And, uh. The guy, the other guys in the shop, nobody wanted to teach there. So I'm like, I'll teach. So they throw me out. And mind you, I'd never even had a lesson. I could play a little, but I, I had no idea what I was talking about. I'm sure there's someone crying in a closet as we speak for what I did to his golf swing. <laughs> so I'm complaining to Earl. Like this one guy was an active duty uh, colonel. And 
you know, I remember the look he gave me when I said something and I was kind of embarrassed. I'm like, man, that, that sounded pretty dumb. <laughs> so I'm complaining <laughs> to Earl about it. And he says, Oh, you know, let me know. I'll be happy to help you. So I'm like, all right, I appreciate that. And then he, when he left, I went out and, uh, on the wall in the, in the foyer there, we had the, the handicap to the members. And I looked up Earl's name and at the time, he was a one handicap and I'm like, yes, he knows what he's talking about. So him and Tiger would get into helping me. You know, I would explain to them my issues with my students and myself. I started taking lessons with Earl pretty quick and they, they would go to great lengths and Tiger loved explaining, you know, what I should do and what he felt I should do. And it was just a beautiful thing. Again, no one's at this place. Parking lot's empty. It's just us for years. And, uh, Interesting. I met the the day I met Tiger. I'd known Earl for about two weeks before I met Tiger, and I didn't even know he had a kid yet. So I walk over to the range. I'm actually gonna have a lesson with Earl. I walk over to the range, and Earl's talking to this little kid. And mind you, I'm pretty young. I'm only 24 at this time, and I think Earl was probably 50. I don't know how old he was, but he looked like an old man at the time. And he's talking to this kid, and the kid's just hitting balls. Earl say something, no reaction from the kid, no nothing. Finally, um, so the kid keeps ignoring Earl. And finally, I can't stand it any longer, you know. And I said, listen, you want to listen to what this man is saying because he knows what he's talking about. Tiger looked over at me with the queerest look you ever saw. Earl started laughing so hard, about fell off of the, the club rack he was sitting on. And there's much more to that. Uh, event at the time but after that we walked over and we went down to the other end of the ring so it's tiger on one end and me and earl on the other end and i asked him i said uh i said why did you come down here and he said you know what for the very first profound thing of many many things uh on how earl was interacting with tiger he said i don't want him thinking about what i'm thinking about plus if he needs to if he needs me, he knows where to find me. And I thought, man, that is awesome. Because one thing you'll have in your golf is parents that hover, you know. You see it all the time. You see it on, on social media all the time. They, they, you know, it's the team kid. And anyway, so I thought that was amazing. And then we played golf that weekend. It was the first time. And I still don't know who I, I found out it was his son. You know, Earl's laugh. He said, hey, that's my son, Tiger, and all that stuff. So we go play. And I'm just checking out Tiger as a fellow military brat, a fellow military dependent, and just seeing, you know, just checking him out. Phil Davis picks his ball marks on the greens. You know, his, you know how you do that. And, uh, you know, like, on a third or fourth hole, I'm thinking, man, I, I can't see where his divot was. And I know he hit the green. So finally, I was watching him on the next hole. I knew he hit the green. I saw his ball marks. He walks over, pulls out a salad fork out of his pocket couple of stabs later and you couldn't even see where the divot had been and i made a big thing oh my god i was watching this kid i was saying this to the group i was watching this kid watching this kid fix his ball where you can't even tell it was there you know i thought it was so impressive but the rest of the group's looking at me like what the hell <laughs> but that was pretty cool and that in that same round every time tiger went to hit a shot 
Earl would start talking to me or talking to someone out loud, like I'm talking to you right now, Jingles changed, just being all kinds of obnoxious and loud. I couldn't believe it. I thought, my God, he's the rudest dad I've ever seen. So finally, we're like on the sixth green. And uh, Earl, uh, Tiger gets over his putt. Earl starts doing his thing. He starts talking to me. And I go, Earl. And he looks at me. And I go, shh. I shushed I Earl Wood. <laughs> and, and I nodded over at Tiger putting. And he goes, Joe, doesn't miss me. Joe, don't you know what I'm doing? Meanwhile, Tiger's putting away. Don't you know what I'm doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, being pretty rude to your kid, I'll tell you that. He said, <laughs> I'm, he said I'm preparing him to play through distraction when he gets to the tour. Mind you, Tiger's only 13. And I thought that that was the coolest thing that a dad could have said in front of his kid going, you know. That was unbelievable. So we're walking off that very green. And I, I say to Tiger, does he really do that every time you hit a shot? Tiger said, I don't know. I haven't heard anything in two years. <laughs> I, know, I know you've heard the story before. But that's, for your, that's for Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. one thing I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to talk about because it happened recently. Tiger came out and uh, publicly and said that he donated all of his trophies. You see that a couple of weeks back? I said, did. Oh, I donated like 117 trophies. Well, let me tell you, he donated to me. Let me tell you the story behind that. So one thing that was awesome about Tiger, he was such an awesome kid. You know, you're talking about Bruce Devlin with the please and thank you and the kindness and no bad words about anybody or anything. Earl and Tiger were like that. That's what people don't realize. I never heard Earl Woods or Tiger Woods say a mean or bad thing about anyone or anything, not even complain. I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute here, but it was, it was just unbelievable. But uh, um, with, Earl, with Tiger and the trophy, so here's the deal on that. Tiger's the number one ranked junior golfer in the world. Right. And and like like I mentioned earlier, we have our one week little junior golf camp during the summer. And that's the only time we had these kids. And it, was, it wasn't even it was a handful of kids, 10, 12 kids, maybe 15. And I had the number, I had the number one junior golfer in the world. And I'd have Tiger, like when he's 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, 16, he would come over and talk. Kids, number one junior golfer in the world. Talking to somebody your golf it was the coolest thing you ever saw. You know, he was answering all the questions, and and uh, that was just the kind of character he had. So, you know, I'm seeing this wonderful kid absolutely have no life with the golf course. You know, let me take him to the park. He loves talking about basketball. He loves talking about football. Let me take him to the park, play a little basketball, play a little football. You know, it took me took me about six months to wear her down. Finally, she lets me take Tiger to the park. He says, "But no football." So of course I brought a football, and uh, <laughs> we, we're, we were playing uh, we were playing basketball. The other two guys that were there were both Coast Guard uh, active duty. One was an EMT in the Coast Guard. The other guy was an active duty guy. Tiger's fourteen years old. He's a little guy, hundred pounds soaked away at the time. He, he didn't he didn't drop till he was about fifteen. And then uh, these guys by now they already know. When I found out who Tiger was on that first day. I'll tell you that story too in a minute. Um, I, everybody found out who Tiger was. I guess they already knew. I was late to the party because he already had five junior worlds. But um, they were taking too much pleasure in just 
smacking him to the ground playing basketball. He had a great jumper. He was fast as lightning. But they were just, too, you know, they're they're 220 pounds, 6'2", you know, 6'3". And Tiger was, I don't know, 100 pounds, 5'5". Five, five. They were just killing him. I thought he was going to get hurt. He hit the ground twice in, like, the first five minutes. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's just go play football. He's going to get hurt playing basketball, not football. <laughs> so we, we take it, we go to play football, and uh, it was me and Tiger against them. And one thing that people don't know about Tiger is that he's a rocket. So as soon as he was off the line, he was just gone. Automatic touchdown every single time. So these guys start complaining. So I'm like, well, let me show you how to uh, for this kid. So we switch teams. Tiger comes off the line. I turn to run with him. He's already 10 yards by me. Can't believe how quick this kid was. So he takes off. The guy throws the ball. I'm doing the physics. I'm doing the math. Tiger's heading straight for a three. He's looking back at the ball. He's running right for a tree. You know, he's 40 yards down. They're running full speed. So full speed, he smashes into the tree. Full speed. Drops like a stone. I'm like, oh, my God. It's the worst thing you ever saw. Drops like a stone. The whole time I'm sprinting towards him, I'm looking at him. He's not moving. I get to him. He's not moving. I hit him in the face real hard. Nothing. I screamed to Walt, who's Nancy and the coast guard. Hey, Walt, I think I killed Tiger. Walt comes running, so by the time Walt gets there, Tiger's doing one of these, you know, he's making noise uh, like this, and Walt looks at his eyes, his eyes were like white, i never seen nothing, i never seen anybody knocked out like this, and uh, he goes, oh, he'll be okay, he just has a concussion, so I'm like, a concussion? So 30 minutes into the big day at the park, and I'm driving Tiger home with a concussion, for playing football. Did I mention see it said no football? I'm freaking <laughs> out. I mean, I I mean yeah, Cheetah definitely wore the pants in that family and I'm freaking out because she is not gonna like this at all. And you know, I drop him off and I'm trying to be nice about it. I'm saying, you know, I'm not I'm not telling you you should lie. <laughs> you know, you might so now this was just a few days after the trophy thing when he saw the little face of the trophy with the little guy this is a few days after that this happened so for the next three days every time the phone rang in the job i wouldn't answer it because i'm expecting Tita just to just to kill me you know and and uh so the other guy in the shop you know they, they were taking the call finally like on the third day the guy hands me the phone and uh i put my hand over the receiver and i go who is it he goes running out of the shop he yells over his shoulder Tita starts <laughs> laughing his head off. I'm like, oh no. So I I go, hello? It's first words out of her mouth. You want the trophy? And I'm like, Yeah. Because in Tiger's house, all along, all down the hallway, in the living room, all the all the all the uh, counters in the kitchen, any flat spot had a trophy on it. I mean, that's how many he had. He said 117. Um, or 113, I think he said, but I counted 297. It took us three little toy, remember those little Toyota trucks? It took us three of those to get him back to the golf course. Oh Dang. my. She, she's all, you want the trophy? I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just from that, just from showing him that little thing, you know, he donated all his trophies to the junior pro program. And, and some of these were the six footers. So for the first, the first couple of years, like I said, I only had 10 
12 kids, you know, a couple of times we only had two girls. I remember one, one or two, the first two years, the trophies were taller than the girls. It was unbelievable. So, you know, maybe somewhere right now, uh, I, I never told the kids where the trophies came from, but I'll tell you what, you know, you, you, you win first place on a two hole tournament with only two people playing, you get a six foot trophy. You're a happy camper. You know what I mean? <laughs> So they didn't actually, have his name on him or anything like you would like, I would have guessed his name was all over him. No, no. I, as you can imagine, when you win first, second or third, most days, they just want the first, second or third trophy. They're not going to go back to the trophy store thinking, you agree with the name of the winner. But no, they didn't. Only two of them, of all of those, only two of them had his name on them. Wow. Only two trophies. So when he turned pro, he wanted what trophies were left back. And I gave her all the trophies back. I knew I knew they didn't know what they were doing when they gave it to me. I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? Because this kid can, you know, we all we all knew he was, you know, the, the Jesus Christ of golf back then. And I figured, well, you know, I'll know they'll, they'll they're going to want it back, and they did. But the two with his name on them, I got them. Is and, that right? Uh, sorry, sorry, champ, I got them. So, um, yeah, yeah, I got them. There's two with his name on them. I got them. And, you know, I was debating bringing them down when I was in California. I was going to run up to the, the Vegas Pond Stars and make some kind of crazy million-dollar uh, <laughs> video thing for them. I'm still holding that card, you know. The foundation's doing good, but, you know, every little bit helps these days. You know what I mean? So that was the trophy story. And uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about with you, about that was, you know, you, you get all the – you get all the, the – I hate the rope doors, you know, and it's just, it's just tragic because, you know, like I said, he's on the other side. He, he was just the, the most wonderful dad. I, you know, I told you, uh, he never said a bad thing about anyone or anything. If you Google, you could see what, you know, some of the stuff come out public. I've never gone public with all the ugly stuff that happened to Tiger at the course. And, you know, it, it's a lot of it's public knowledge, but a lot of it, you know, would, would create a, a bad maelstrom of unwanted publicity if people found out exactly what tiger went through but i guarantee very few people have experienced uh you know as direct an attack as he went through and that was only about 10 percent of it i mean they finally i was able to see him for about 90 percent of it but i told earl everything but earl never told tiger earl always turned the other cheek he always kept his chin up he never let it bother him it was just unbelievable and mind you, this is like the the three U.S. juniors. Imagine, imagine Tiger Woods is your kid, and at your home course, you're running into problems. Like, like the uh, couple of stories I'll share is, is I remember when he uh, won his first U.S. amateurs. He was 18. He won his first U.S. He already won his three juniors. There's a bunch of stuff in there. He wins his first U.S. amateur, and a week later. He comes up to me in the shop. The manager had given him a letter. Due to numerous complaints from the men's and ladies club, you're going to have to uh, keep your receipt for all your transactions and, and present it upon request. And he's like, why Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because Tiger kept such a low profile. And I was telling him, it's not them. It's this one guy, the guy that's in charge that, that wasn't fond of people of color. And he hated the fact that you know, the military takes care of its own. This guy wasn't a, he was a civilian guy. And, uh, you know, we weren't on base. So it was like a little dictatorship. And, 
you know, I remember it was a hard sell. He couldn't, he couldn't fathom that this guy would do that because to his face, this guy was, you know, keep his receipts for what? Why was keeping his receipts to do what? Like, what did he want? It doesn't make. That's crazy. He wanted the receipt for range tokens. If you if you got oh. tokens, he wanted to see a receipt. If he played on the golf course, he wanted to see a receipt. And after he got he got the letter, he went out and played, and they gave him a receipt. You know, I never charged Tiger Earl for all those years. In fact, I even once. Uh, well, anyway, um, I he went out the day he got the letter was the only time the manager got the cart and halfway down number one, he actually went out there after Tiger got this letter and asked to see his receipt. It was terrible. But through all of that, you know, one thing, you know, having a Tiger on your hand and keeping uh, Tiger level and focus and not letting him buy into that was unbelievable. You know, that was that's the side of Earl that people don't know about. Everything was positive. One thing that, you know, Tiger always, or Earl always did like when we're all together, he, he would ask him like at night where, you know, I had dinner at their house a lot. And uh, he'd ask him, so what did you learn today? And Tiger would go on at great length to tell him. I remember we're coming back from the uh, 1990 U.S. Junior qualifier and Earl asked him that. But this is the first time I saw it. He goes, so what did you learn? And it was dead silence for 15 minutes. And I'm thinking mad with him so I'm not, I'm not saying nothing i'm just in the back seat finally like 15 minutes later tiger goes oh six iron on on 16 i pushed it to the right i want to I, I need to work on that you know and we, we're like two hours away we played 36 holes it was unbelievably hot 105 that day we get back to the course drop me off tiger runs out to the rim start pounding six iron and you know it was unbelievable but it was all part of what what is learn it was all upbeat it was all positive what is there to learn from this i remember one time you know and he held tiger accountable uh one time he comes after school and tiger's not there like you know where's by now champ where's champ and he's like oh he wasn't finished his homework yet and that was the end of it it was like you know because tiger always he had to do his chores before he go to the course and it was a wonderful thing because he would just do, it was like, he, you know, it was a routine. Come home, you know, he, I don't think he could leave his house without his room being clean, but he couldn't go to the golf course without all of his chores being done. And it was just something that was part of what you do. You know, at 13 years old, there wasn't parents grinding and doing anything. He just did it. I mean, the maturity level was unbelievable. Another thing that happened about this time with Earl, you know, is like, you know, again, I, I wanted to take him to the park. I wanted him to have a life. So I was kind of, by now, I'm, I, I'm pretty close to Earl. And I asked him, I go, what would you do if Tiger wanted to quit golf? And he didn't miss a beat. He said, I support him. As long as he's a productive member of society, I'm going to support him in anything he does. I'm just here to provide the framework of success. I don't care if he wanted to be a postman. I would support him. I remember he said postman. I don't care if you want to be a postman, I would support him. And I thought, God, this guy is awesome. So, you know, a lot of, you know, you see a lot of the the negative stuff on Earl. Another thing that, that a lot of that comes from is, is back in the day, you know, Earl, Earl was, he didn't have a lot of friends there, you know. A lot of times, you know, when I go drop my money, he'd be sitting at the bar by himself. Nobody would give him the time of day for all these years. And all of a sudden, Tiger gets famous. 
now everybody wants to be his buddy and he wasn't having it, you know? And, and that's where you get all the I hate Earl stories from. These are the same people that weren't giving him the time of day before Tiger got famous. So, you know, and, you know, another thing that happened, a couple, I'll, I'll give you a couple more bad ones. So when he uh, won his second U.S. Amateur, so his second U.S. Amateur, um, no, his first U.S. Amateur, that was a week later that he got the note, right, that said, you got to keep your receipt. Mind you, this is the U.S. Amateur champion of America and he's got to show his receipt and he's having to ask him. It, it was so PS. It was so ridiculous. Uh, the next year he wins it again. How about that? So by now Tiger's famous. He's on he's in magazine stuff. And it just seemed the more famous he got, the more people were throwing stones at him. And when people knew that I was running with him and Earl, they just couldn't wait uh, to tell me exactly what they thought, you know, it was, it was nuts. So I never shared any of that with, with, with Tiger on, uh, you know, the nonsense that was going on. But he went to second U.S. Amateur. Remember the first? Oh, it's your seat. The second, Peter's already done with Navy. Earl's already done with Navy. Tiger's still holding on hope, still being a good guy. He's still playing there. Uh, he's just in college now, but he, he, would, he, he would still play Navy when he was in town. So he went to the second one and he calls the manager, who was the guy who wrote the letter, saying, Hey, you want to display the US Amateur Trophy at Navy, right? How nice is that? The manager didn't even bother to get back to him. And that was Tiger's last trial at the Navy Golf Course. It was unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. So, you know, I say all that because this is what they're going through while Earl, while Earl is still keeping Tiger's head above water, still having him see the positives and everything. They never, anytime I tell Earl about all this ugly stuff that was being thrown their way, he never said a bad thing about it. You know, he never got in the mire and said anything negative about it. Another thing about uh, Earl that people don't really know is that way back in, uh, around that time, this is 95 or 96, you know, Tiger's just, you know, three juniors, two lambs, He's tearing it up. He's the second coming. Everyone can see it. And Tim Fincham and some other people wanted to uh, start a junior golf thing based on, you know, if you met Tiger, you could tell all about, you know, his honesty, integrity, his sportsmanship, his respect, his confidence, responsibility, perseverance, courtesy, and judgment. I mean, you could just, it just oozed out of him that solid of a guy well, I just happened to name the nine core values of the first team so what happened was they got with Earl let's do this big huge junior thing it was PGA Tour sponsored let's do it yay and uh and they did that I remember Earl went out to Augusta to meet with people and you know right about at that same time I think you know all this is new Tiger just turned pro. So all these opportunities are coming up. And, and really, that was the Team Tiger blueprint was, was those core values that first he followed. That's pretty much, you know, the way Tiger rolled back then. But I think I, I, Earl, I never talked to Earl about why this didn't, you know, why this didn't go down the way it did. But they decided to make their own the Tiger Woods Learning Center. They, at 
So they he parted ways from the first tee after giving them, you know, all the Tigers' four values. So the first tee, you'll never see her was they mentioned on the first tee, which who is awesome. The first tee is awesome. They really, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very impressed with the first tee and the programming that they do and trying to instill life skills. You know, so you know, a lot of us do nowadays that are in golf through you know with juniors through golf all these. When you got a captured audience, you know, like in golf, you're able to do that. You're able to instill these values because when you're playing golf, you're going to experience, you know, every emotion attainable from bliss, from rapture to, you know, your worst nightmare. But they got that. So Tiger and Earl were like, well, we're going to, all right, you guys do that, whatever, you know, it's going to be great. They decided and actually opened up the Tiger Learning Center before the first tee got off the ground. And the, and the Tiger Woods Learning Center is unbelievable. What they do there, if you, don't, if you haven't been there, it's, it's not even about golf, it really. It's about empowering students to pursue their passions through education, you know. <laughs> I got that off the website. But they would do real-world stuff. Forensic science, marine biology, biotechnology, video game design, robotics, AI, cybersecurity, all this stuff, engineering, photography. So you go there, and all these classes are like state-of-the-art, and it's super fun. I've seen these guys make, making rockets and doing all this great stuff. And basically what it is is to try to let the kids experience all this stuff because maybe something's going to click. Maybe something they're going to be passionate about, and then you can just you're off to the races find your passion so that was like first t 2.0 and you know earl earl i'd love to see earl get more credit for all of that 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 all came you know out of earl's corner you know he was he was all about that you know see what we could do to improve lives you know through the celebrity that they've attained it was it was unbelievable you know he kept tiger focused positive all you know it was all, all the discussions were always upbeat positive what you learn you want to know and i you know i bought into that really early so every time i was around tiger it was all about you know what are you working on you know it was all positive 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 we all felt like part of the team but uh you know it was well deserved you know because tiger was all these things he was the hard worker he was this honest responsible courteous awesome kid i'd love to see earl get more credit for the man he was and the stuff that you see out there you know and and you know i still feel a little terrible about that hbo documentary because i gave nine hours of the good stories and they only use the one bad one and, and, and he was way much more of a man than 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 all that and uh, you know i just want the world to know that so, you've told the story, yeah. and, and it might have been on that HBO special. I can't remember. Maybe when you've been on this show before about Tiger hitting like pitch shots, chip shots in the in the living room, like over the couch, oh, yeah. over oh, yeah. the shoulder. Oh yeah, not hitting the oh, TV. Yeah. That had to drive oh, Tita and Earl crazy. No, they weren't even moving. It was just par for the course. So it was like it was one of the nights I was over there, there sitting on the couch. And this ball, so the couch is, is kind of 
outlines the hallway. So you got a hallway, right? And the back of the couch in the living room kind of is like the continuation of the hallway, if you will. So Tiger just has a hallway side room swing. So I'm sitting on the couch talking to Cedar and Earl, and they got a glass coffee table. And right on the other side of the glass coffee table is the fireplace. Now I'm sitting there, and this ball comes over my shoulder, over the glass table, lands on the carpet in front of the fireplace. <laughs> and I look back, and it was Tiger. Just he just hit a, he just hit the shot, you know, right <laughs> over me. And I'm like, I'm like thinking, what? I go, no <laughs> way. I go, let me first of all scare the crap out of me because you know he's right there making a full swing right next. Oh, it's unbelievable. But I'm like, there's no way you could do that again. Because it was, if you can imagine, this is only probably 10 feet, you know, over a couch, over a coffee table on the carpet, and it, stop, and it doesn't bounce into the fireplace. <laughs> First of all, you got to land it between the coffee table and the fireplace. It's only enough for one person to walk through. So what's that, two feet, three feet max? And he's got to get it over, got to get it right. Up. Oh, it's unbelievable. And, uh, so I said, let me see that again. So Earl and Tina didn't admit, they didn't even say nothing. They're kind of giggling that it scared me, you know, because I'm like, what was that? So I go, no way you could do that again. So he did it again, and he did it again, and he did it again. And I'm just, you know, when you see this kind of talent, you just be, you can't even come up with anything funny to say because it's just so mind-blowing, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was unbelievable. Another thing that he always do, you know, I, I, I've told you about how I've seen a putt for, you know, my entire shift, eight and a half hours. Um, one time he was in the bunker where I was teeing off. Normally he'd play with me after I got off. So this time he's in the bunker next to the first tee. And I, Champion, go play? He goes, no. He goes, I got to work on this. So we, come, we play the whole 18, come back. He's still in the bunker, still in the same spot, like four and a half, five hours later. I mean, that's what we're talking about. It's the kind of work ethic we're talking about. Wow. And, uh, so, you know, back then, I used to say back in the day, all the success that he got, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, obvious now, but all the success he got back then, he way deserved, you know, the, the, the run of consecutive weeks at number one, all the wins, all that, he earned that. He did that work, you know, and uh, it's nice to see. Nice to see it. So, yeah, Earl was a great guy. You know, he's a wonderful friend. We played every Wednesday for five years, and, and we would take on everybody. And, and I remember many times, like, you know, I, I was kind of a field filler back in the day. Like, you know, you know, Earl's a, a good golfer. Like I said, he was a one. You know, but, I, like, it, I, was, I was working on it. I was a work in progress even then. And, like, on 16, 15, 16, Earl would go, okay, Joe, you ready? That was it. And then the, the guys we were playing who were beating us would be like looking at each other. What do you mean by that? You know, you can take it up a notch. And I'll tell you what, nine times out of 10, it never failed that they would crumble just from Earl saying that. Like, <laughs> like some, some magic thing can happen, you know. Are you ready? Okay, let's do this. And then it was unbelievable. Wow. Those were good times, I'll tell you that. Um, no so doubt. that's where I met them. And yeah, and the Tiger, the trophy story, you know, made me think of all that, you know, good to walk down memory lane with you, Chris. i tell you. Yeah, I um, love it. And he's just four miles away now, so I haven't seen him yet. His kid's played in a few tournaments. We've, we've almost crossed paths. I mean, I haven't gone and knocked on his door. 
uh, yet, but you know, we'll see. Like I said, I'm hoping to do something good enough. I got a lot of stuff going. I'm down at the Elk Center for Autism and I'm leading instructor there too. Um, we're making inroads into, you know, the, the African American community here can really use, uh, some clinics that we can, you know, like I did a clinic out in Bellglade here, uh, summer camp. And uh, if you don't know where Bellglade is, it's in, the, it's in the middle of the state of Florida, and it's right next to the surface of the sun. <laughs> and uh, so I went out there at 40 kids for the camp, 40, and only one had ever even golfed before. Wow. And the only reason he had golfed before was because he told his grandpa that he was going to golf class the next day. So his grandpa took him out in the field to hit some balls. <laughs> so, I mean, that's. That's way too many, you know. That's way too many kids. So we're we're making some really good inroads. You know, we're gonna we got a lot of projects in the fire here. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, it'll come to a point where you know Tiger might want to come down and say hi to the kids like the old days. So we'll see. That's the hope. I hope keep plugging away. Love it. Yeah, that's the hope. I hope that for you, Joe. Before I let you go, Thank remind you. our listeners how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's with the kids, it's with our military veterans. How can they follow you online and on social media? Hey, social media, I'm at uh, Joe Groman on Facebook, Joe Groman Golf Foundation on Facebook, Joe the Pro on Facebook, and my foundation website, JoeGromanGolfFoundation.org. Uh, the book, that book that I wrote at Tiger and Earl's House, How to Golf Beginner's Guide, available in English, Spanish, and Korean, is at HowToGolf.com, and my email is Joe Groman at TGA.com and Groman is spelled G-R-O-H-M-A-N. Joe, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show and sharing all those wonderful stories. You are just a treasure. Every time we get to spend some time together, you make me smile, you make me laugh, and I learn a lot as well. So thank you for doing it again tonight. All right. Well, yeah, let me interview you if Pittsburgh went to the Super Bowl, okay? <laughs> <laughs> deal i'll be glad to do it <laughs> all right beautiful well thanks again for having me chris you know and continued success to you i'm glad you do this get the word out about golf and do a great service to the golf community i appreciate you very much joe take care my friend all the best all right, in your family you. we'll catch up soon great thank you, you too see you joe that is the great joe groman again g-r-o-h-m-a-n is the spelling of his name and he is just a hoot Everything that Joe does, he is just a wonderful human being. The great things he's doing for our military veterans, the, the great things he's doing with the first tee and uh, coming and being a part of the show and sharing these great stories about Tiger and Earl. I can't thank Joe enough. He's a wonderful individual, and uh, I'm already looking forward to the next time I get to spend some time with him. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. I want to send out my sincere thanks again to Jane Blaylock, Rich Katz and Joe Groman for joining me this week. Next week, I'm going to be away on vacation with the family. We're headed over to Hilton Head. 
Going to play a little golf over at Oyster Reef Golf Club, a design from one of our good friends, Reese Jones. Looking forward to checking it out. It was one of the top golf courses on Hilton Head from the very beginning, a top 25 when it was first built. So looking forward to playing that track. I'll let you know how it goes when I get back. And when I do, two weeks from tonight, uh, here's who's scheduled to join me. We're going to get a return visit from 2013 Senior Open Champion Mark Wiebe. One of the co-hosts of Golf Nation's new show, Three Courses, that Rich Katz mentioned a little bit ago, Gabby Powell, will be here. And Terry Hashimoto, a top PGA professional and the co-developer of Body Track Golf, will be back with us. So it's going to be a really fun show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm, Good Pods. And as Joe mentioned a moment ago, on TribLive.com up in my hometown of Pittsburgh. Of course, it's available everywhere the show is, but the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, my hometown newspaper, is such a thrill to have the show a part of that site. And again, thanks to Jennifer Bertetto and Justin Labor at TribLive.com for being awesome and getting the show on there. I thank you both very, very much. But most of all, I thank all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until two weeks from tonight, hit them straight, my friends.